Hello and welcome to Eureka Nerd. I am Will Davis, an ASMR recording of Cats Purring. And I'm Leah Richards, the sound of a packet of chocolate digestives being opened. Why are we these things? Because they are our favourite sounds. We've got a lot to talk about when it comes to sound in this episode, so stick around and keep your ears open. But when it comes to sound, what makes more sound, do you think, than everything ever? How do you think the universe would sound if it were a noise? I feel like a lot of it might be vague whooshing. Or like the warp core in a Star Trek starship. Yeah, but even less directed than that. Like, white noise? Some of it is the background radiation from the Big Bang, right? So yeah, yeah, that's what I'm imagining. It's just... Well, that's going to sound lovely on the playback to all of our dear listeners, but imagine if there wasn't any sound in the universe, or imagine if you couldn't perceive the sound of the universe. So when it comes to making astronomy accessible for deaf astronomers, or deaf would-be astronomers, thanks to the research from the University of California, Riverside, there has been some actual strides in trying to open access to people whose immediate access concerns have so far not been really addressed. And I mean, let's initially acknowledge the irony of us covering a story about making things accessible for the deaf in an audio medium. But, you know, lots of people with hearing loss can hear stuff, just not great. Ask my mother. And if you're asking yourself, well, how can I go about reframing some of the educational content from my course that's all about sound, like you say, the sounds of space, into something that someone who cannot hear those vibrations in the air perceive? Well, you make them into vibrations in something else, or someone else. As Dr. Leo Winkler says, Designers of informal STEM education and public outreach activities often overlook people with hearing loss. For our workshop, we decided to focus on astronomy, a gateway to science, because of the breathtaking imagery it offers, the big questions it tackles, and the increasingly interdisciplinary nature. We used storytelling, videos, images in the workshop to bring meaning to the sounds of the universe, all of which made for a very engaging experience for the students. Who, the co-author, Gillian Wilson says, loved the experience, and that's the whole point. And they've presented this workshop multiple times over three days at CSDR, which is the California School for the Deaf, Riverside. And they have worked with CSDR teachers before, getting American Sign Language at public astronomy events, but this is the first time they'd actually developed an activity targeted at deaf people. And what the workshop specifically involved was a specially designed interlocking wooden floor which could transmit vibrations of the takeoff of a rocket encountering a supernova, the background radiation of the universe, and they're continuing the collaboration with CSDR by developing another workshop entitled Smells of the Universe. One of the science facts that come my way that I believe the universe smells like rum and raisin ice cream. That the ethanols and methanols and kind of like base sugars that lots of things are made of that exist in the centre of the big supergalactic soup of supernova is, it's kind of just made of those. I feel like there's a quote from Chris Hadfield about that. Space generally smells like gunpowder or burnt meat. Oh, okay, but someone averaged out the smells of the universe. Mm -hmm. So far as I know, they got to rum and raisin ice cream. Okay, interesting, interesting. I wonder what the earth smells of. Well, there's no point trying to smell our flat right now because all it smells of is garlic. <laughs> yeah, it does mostly smell of the dinner that we had, so 
That's not really a representative sample. If oh, if you were to try and smell the entire earth at once, I I would guess salty because of all the seawater. Oh uh, yeah, maybe salty. I was thinking about biomass, in which case it would probably smell of bugs. I don't know what bugs smell like if I had to pin down a bug smell. Yeah, I mean, lots of them have different smells. There's stink bugs that specifically smell... Dung beetles also weighing down that side of the equation. I mean, that's not a smell they produce themselves. That's just a smell they associate with. That's a smell they are covered But that's mostly herbivore dung, so it's not actually that stinky. Ants. Ants are very good with smells. They generate lots of smells. You could probably program the ants to smell a particular way and skew your results. If any geneticists out there have decided they want to make the world a better place, stop researching how to cure diseases or improve crop yields. Make ants smell good. Ants already smell good to other ants. As I am not those, I am really not placed to judge. But that could be a way of, you know, improving the world situation, encouraging people to have a more sustainable source of protein and eat bugs, make them smell like Doritos. (laughs) Cool ranch ants. Tangy cheese ants. Chilly heatwave ants. Would they also be the same texture as Doritos and generally look like Doritos? Because I think I could live with that. But I don't think I can deal with knowing that I'm eating ants. Have I mentioned they're one of the only insects I'm actually frightened of? Yeah, awkward. But enough about our fears. Thanks to the people at the University of California Riverside for doing something to, again, make the world a better place. Get more people involved in more science. You can't go wrong with that. Even if sometimes it might be a little frustrating trying to get your science out there into the world or get yourself into the science that you want to be a part of. You might be sat at your desk so frustrated that you end up sounding like this. I'm not entirely sure how much of that was disappointment or frustration, honestly. If you want, I could tell you exactly how much those were, because... These files that I'm clicking through now come to us from the University of California, Berkeley this time, who have broken down emotion into sounds. You might remember that in a previous episode we talked about how there were certain distinct sensations of emotion that you could chart out. About 24 different emotions that range from fear to excitement to awe, all the way over to nostalgia being its own separate cluster of emotions visualized on this map that they produced. Well, now they've got the sounds to go with it. Some of those sounds that you just heard were 33% disgust, 17% contempt, 17% disappointment, 8% distress, 8% ecstasy, 8% relief, and 8% negative surprise. Yeah, I think those 8% of ecstasy and relief are what were confusing me. The second voice, it did sound like a moment of a certain kind of release. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, maybe it's just the way I'm socialised, but that kind of overrode my reading of any disgust or disappointment in there. Now, this research, which is genuine psychological science that's been published in American Psychologist, comes with the audio interactive map that you can roll through for yourself to listen to different expressions of different emotions. Do that with headphones in and not in a public place, because some of these sound quite... Suggestive. Some of these are just quite loud, and if you are sat at your desk at work, perhaps, and you decide to click through and you get to pure fear... You might cause a little bit of alarm. A little bit. I'm not going to play that one now, but it is just screaming. And the press release to accompany this map comes with a text that... 
For millions of years, humans have used wordless vocalizations to communicate feelings that can be decoded in a matter of seconds, as this latest study demonstrates. I would say you don't need the study to do that, you just need to head out and be around people. I personally have had entire conversations where I don't know if I've actually uttered an entire word, but they go something like, you right? Yeah. 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 You see, all of these, like, we're just kind of having a, what feels like a normal conversation sat on the sofa making these noises at each other to someone else or to a completely alien civilization trying to break down the human language they're attempting to understand. It's going to be completely indecipherable to other humans. Oh yeah, casual day at work then. My mum's got a specific disgust noise for when she sees an item of clothing with a peplum on it. I can't really replicate it, but once upon a time, we were flipping through the sail rail in a clothing shop, and she made this particular sort of noise, and I immediately knew that what she had seen was an item of clothing with a peplum on it. Very specific non-verbal communication. Very specific non-verbal communication. The intended use for this map is that it could theoretically guide medical professionals and researchers working with people with dementia, autism, other emotional processing disorders to zero in on specific emotion-related deficits. If they're having trouble associating how people are phrasing different sentences, they can infer from the tone and intonation what kind of emotion is being expressed alongside that if it's not something which they are instantly keyed into in the same way that other neurotypical brains might be. On the other side of that conversation, I can also see how this would be very useful for helping people train themselves to express feelings to someone who has an emotional processing difficulty to channel that in the most effective and most understandable way. Yeah, that seems to me like the kind of obvious application of it. Now, before we really get into this, we should thank the 2,000 vocal bursts that have come from 56 male and female professional actors and non-actors in the United States, India, Kenya, and Singapore, which I think gives a fairly well-rounded global expression of emotion. And at least one of the female voices, I am assuming that it's an actor because they have a very similar tone of voice to me, and I can only assume it's because we are similar-sized human beings and have had similar amounts of voice coaching. Well, tell you what, listener, let's all join in as we tour through this map of emotion, see if you can figure out what is trying to be expressed? Maybe different amounts of different emotion in each utterance. And we'll have a little head-to-head quiz between yourself and your hosts. So let's start off with... Ha! Once again, for the listeners at home, that is... Ha! Seems like mostly contempt. It's not far from the archipelago of contempt, but it's further north. What we have here is apparently the expression of Triumph. 25% anger, 25% triumph, 17% contempt, 8% disappointment, ecstasy, elation, and realization. Well, how about... That's disgust. That is 100% disgust, you are right. Disgust and a little bit of disappointment. Oh, that's 92% disgust, 8% desire. I think that says something very concerning about how we're, um, how we're socialized to view female desire. What the hell? Well, the female desire samples that they've got sound more like. That's me admiring one of those chocolate biscuits that we opened earlier. 
<laughs> what about that one then? That's a French speaker discovering that her baguette has been broken in two on the way home from the shops. <laughs> that's a very specific emotion. I'm not sure if that's quite on this grid. What we've got there apparently is confusion, interest, positive surprise, or realization and negative surprise. Which I guess, yeah, if someone's pinched the end off your love, you might be going through that kind of emotional journey. They framed that as just interest. But hopefully surprise, confusion, interest, or unrealization are some of the emotions that you, dear listener, are feeling. Let us know how that sounds. Actually, no, don't send us weird clips of your voice as you go. Because that could be odd. But it might be fun. I think that's got some value. Tell you what, send them to us on Twitter. There's all kinds of weird stuff on Twitter. It'll just blend right in. But that does mean that we're almost out of time for this episode. But there's no need to be sad, because we'll be back very, very soon. Until next time, from the University of Warwick, you can train the brain to form good habits through regular repetition of activity. Practice? Works? Or that from the University of East Anglia, language used on credit card websites is the hardest to understand. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I used to work in financial services, that sounds about right. If you would like to send us sounds that you can make with your mouth, then you can attach them to an email and send that email to eurekanerdcast at gmail.com. That's eurekanerdcast at gmail.com. More weird sound files could be sent to us on Twitter at eurekanerdcast, or instead of sending us sound files, send us money at ko-fi.com forward slash eurekanerd. That'll help support the podcast, defray the costs of hosting, and just show us your appreciation. Make us feel loved. If you want to send us the sound of appreciation and love, then you can do that too. Actually, just sending us the money is also fine. But until next time, bye-bye. Goodbye.